0: Today's episode of the Rider podcast is sponsored by our friends at Rocky's Venture Club, an angel investing group dedicated to accelerating economic development by educating and connecting investors and entrepreneurs. Their mission is to advance economic development in the Rocky Mountain region. On today's episode of the Rider podcast, we have guest Heather Potters. She's the vice chairman and co-founder of PharmaJet. They're a private drug delivery technology company, which has developed a family of patented proprietary needle-free injection technologies. Heather Potters on the Rider Flex podcast. How are you doing, Heather?
1: Super. It's great to be part of your event today.
0: Uh, I appreciate you being here. Really cool. We met through some folks over at Rocky's Venture Club. Barbara Bauer, I think, introduced us maybe, so it was very nice of her. She was on the podcast before. I appreciate her doing that. Actually, I have
1: to share a secret that Rocky's Venture Club is a significant investor for PharmaJet. So Barbara ah, and her team, ah. really appreciate them. That's
0: where the tie-in is. Okay, because we also sponsor. Sometimes they're a sponsor for us on the front end of the podcast. So I'll have to make sure Scott knows that. So when we put it out, uh, they get the sponsorship little clip at the beginning. I'll have to make sure we do that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Very nice of our friends at RVC and Barbara when you listen to this, guys. Thank you. So I studied you uh, last night, this morning. I was stalking you and, and trying to figure out everything I could. Love, love uh, your background and the story. And by the way, some of those YouTube videos you guys got up on the PharmaJet YouTube channel, pretty, pretty powerful stuff. So uh, I can't wait to get into it. Before we get into PharmaJet, though, why don't you tell the listeners about Heather, the person, like early life, family stuff, where you grew up, walk us into college, stuff like that.
1: Okay, wow, back to the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually originally from Colorado. Okay. And, um, you know, very proud to be part of this state. And yet I had a really unusual upbringing. So I had quite a lot of international exposure, travel, living abroad, studying abroad, um, you know, during kind of some of my formative early years. And my parents actually did quite a lot of international travel, volunteer medicine and dentistry and things. And then, you know, you, before you know it, you add your, your grandparents and where everybody comes from. And everything that I ever studied in college and graduate school had an international um, focus because I knew that I wanted to have a career abroad. So okay. I'm a Wheat Ridge farmer, for those of you who know where Wheat Ridge High School is. How about
0: that? <laughs> All right, cool.
1: <laughs> in California, like in the middle of whatever month it snowed three feet, and I thought, California, here I come.
0: <laughs> Why Claremont, by the way? Well, any specific um, reason? So,
1: Claremont McKenna uh, College, uh, it, just as it was changing from Claremont Men's School, kind of funny. Uh, I to see. Small, sleepy place that was perfect with small class sizes. And uh truth is, is I probably only went to the beach twice during oh, my whole time there. <laughs>
0: really? <laughs> Uh so I you... learned
1: actually, um, you know, careful what you wish for, because LA is a big place. And, uh, comparison, comparison to Colorado, you know, relatively, we we get, uh, you know, unhappy with a little tiny bit of traffic, and you can, you can be on a highway for three hours and and never leave the city there. So, um, it's uh, it was a wonderful uh, experience, and then fast forward pretty quickly. Um, I headed off to business school. In between time, I, I started some of my first entrepreneurial activity. Um, and, you know, it's, um, I, I think in my family, everything was always, you know, hurry up, hurry up and, and go to the next thing. So it's, as much as that was, um, you know, kind of a helpful experience for us, the truth is, is I, I went to um, the other coast. To Pennsylvania and went to the Wharton School. I saw I was that. Part of their international cohorts as well, and it was quite a, a big program with a lot of foreigners anyway. But uh, I I quickly oriented myself to to find a job abroad. And when I graduated, it was in 1991. I had already been to visit Poland uh, just as the wall came down. So in between years of business school.
0: Okay, cool. And cool. and cool um.
1: Yeah, it, it, it really struck me that the, the people there uh, were so nice and engaging and hardworking. And in the back of my mind, I thought, wouldn't it be great if you could do something to help? Well, the truth is, is that that concept of privatization was coined about the same time that I was finishing school. Huh. And one of the professors in our school was tasked with trying to develop a roadmap around how to bring Central and Eastern Europe forward, you know, support its private sector development. And I became part of the first fund that was established thanks to the leadership of President Bush Senior and the Chairman of Bear Stearns and Dylan Reed. And that effort created something called the Enterprise Funds where it was US government money allocated to fixed closed end funds that were independently managed. So in other words, the objective was make sure that you get an ROI we're not just giving away money (laughs) but it was government money to take the risk in a place that had virtually no private sector so I landed in Warsaw in May in 1991 wow um when all chaos you know had broken loose because they'd free prices and frozen wages and everybody was on the street corner selling something
0: where were you living were you like in in a in an apartment downtown by yourself did you have any friends family there
1: well, um, because housing is really hard to come by, multi-generations living, you know, together in, in small quarters, uh, somebody had already basically taken the, the task on to knock on somebody's door and ask if they wanted to rent their apartment. So I moved into a, a furnished apartment <laughs> that was probably uh-huh. about the, the size of, of twice my kitchen. Um, the, uh, a bed... Uh, a very small bathroom, a very small kitchen and, and a closet. And uh, it was on Did the 17th you... floor. And oftentimes the elevator didn't work. Um, Holy cow. A few blocks away from the office. And, and we actually, uh, the office space that we had was uh, in the former communist party headquarters. <laughs> and we moved in together with Arthur Anderson and uh the plans to start up a stock exchange and, and it was it was really you know a remarkable time um oh, I bet. 22 days to wire money uh, there was no infrastructure relatively it took uh you couldn't call across the street if your life depended on it until you know later in the evening when the circuits were clear no no
0: internet no internet inter- It's not like you're Googling. It's not like you're Googling. Hey, where's a a cool restaurant?
1: No, it was, it was, uh, it was a bit grungy. Yeah. And (laughs) I lived without heat and water my first probably 18 months and, and, you know, over time I moved five times, but it was really hard to find housing. And so Mm. as people decided to try and rent their places, because that was the first market to get developed, um, Increasingly, you know, moved a little bit away from the city and, and um, eventually ended up building a house. Uh,
0: okay. So I, oh, uh, really? I
1: spent 20 years altogether uh, living and working and investing in Central and Eastern Europe from Warsaw.
0: Wow. Okay. Do you still have property there?
1: I do, actually. Wow. Um, Very nice. Have a family farm that, that we renovated over time. It's in the north part of the, the country in a beautiful Lake District.
0: Oh, cool. Very cool. I didn't Okay. Okay. If I ever go, if I ever need to travel over there, I'll call you. I'll be like, Hey, well, who's in the farm this
1: weekend?
0: (laughs) 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 Did you plan on getting into private equity enterprise investing? Like, was that your plan in school or you, it just kind of happened.
1: It kind of (laughs) happened. Although I kind of had my eye on it. Um, I was not, uh, you know, the top of the class in the finance, uh, you know, Kind of classes or financial world. So many people had come from Wall Street. So I think, you know, truly my background had been more oriented towards uh, marketing. Um, I actually taught an undergraduate class at Wharton, which was a bunch of fun. But the other alternative that I had was to move to Sydney, Australia, and work for Procter and Gamble. Mm, so, wow. you know, you kind of come to that, that yellow brick road and you get yep. to choose the desire to the other side. And, um, in my mind, when I, when I was in Poland, I, I mentally said, you know, I give this six months because <laughs> it might not work out. Um, but really quickly things started to normalize and it was, it was just fascinating. It was like yeah. light speed basically.
0: When you would come back home and your friends would complain about little tiny stuff, right? Like they, they complain that their, uh, flavor of, of soda wasn't at the store today and they're mad about little tiny stuff and you'd been over there, you're like, listen, let me tell you something. No hot water, no heat, 17 flights of stairs. I can tell you some other story.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't suffer whiners very well, but in, in Poland, when I arrived, um, the, the uh, I was, again, the first foreigner out of, maybe there were 18 people already kind of hired local team of, okay. of Polish people. And um, the, the term uh, Toya's problem, meaning it's a problem, was the answer to everything that you asked. And I quickly became one of those people that was just irate, like, we are going to fix this. We're going to awesome. figure out a way over the barrier, around the barrier, under the barrier. And um, I think, you know, I, I, I developed some skills, frankly, that probably aren't very attractive, in the sense that if somebody says you can't, the uh, first thing, my reaction is, of course, of course I can't, <laughs> <laughs> right? What do you mean? You can't do that? And, um, and yet, at, at the same time, too, life is hard. Uh, so, so being able to be gracious and accepting that there were limitations, but um, you know, no whiners allowed, meaning that if the garbage needed to be taken out, you take the garbage out, right? This is not something where it's a glamorous uh, assignment, and if you're not prepared to to kind of buckle down and just live with the circumstances that, you know, we're in doesn't seem like you're fit. So it, it wasn't for everyone. uh, But there ended up actually out of my class being at least a good 15 of us, maybe 20 of us that went off to positions in that area basket of countries like the IFC, the world bank, Um, other organizations. And we all had very similar experiences. And it was really, you know, most people would would say it was remarkably wonderful. And probably about half the people stayed.
0: Oh, is that right? Okay, I see. All right. And you were over there for 20 years in various roles? Yes. Wow, that is a long time. Okay. All right. So when did you come back to the States? Walk me through that career period where you're like, okay, somebody finally pulled you back this way.
1: Well, I think there was a, uh, and there were probably two occasions, two natural periods where um, it kind of had a, a, a check-in with the rest of the world because it, it, you, you couldn't make a phone call, right? You had to have a satellite phone to get out of the country for the first wow. few wow. years So wow. telecom started to, to improve a little bit. <laughs> um, it it was it was interesting, interesting to me that after the first major primary investment period of about six years, I checked in with people and said, well, what do you think? And everyone said to me, are you kidding? Central and Eastern Europe is the place to be. And, um, that, you know, kind of reconfirmed, you know, from the outside perspective that I wasn't living on some little island. Okay. My experience would be useful for the future. Gotcha. And then after substantially investing my third fund, uh, and realizing that, that the natural evolution for a fund manager is you go raise fund four, right? And you, you invest quite a lot and then you go raise your next fund. Okay. Okay. So you, my,
0: you, you answer, my, you answered sorry. On top of each other. Okay. I,
1: I just realized that you kind of come to this place where there's a point of no return, which is if you do do that, you kind of need to sign up to stay your, your adult life, right? Mm. You have a career perspective that is, um, you know, there's a transition time that's appropriate and one that's probably not. So money in, money out tended to be about 13 years of time, double what it would be in the United States. So if you imagine, again, the layer cake, and you stack these onto each other. I started to think very seriously about diversifying my way out of of Poland and Central and Eastern Europe, and I began investing in a few other things, and that's when PharmaJet, kind of happened and it uh, used to be a bit of a trade secret, but I co-founded PharmaJet with my mother. Okay. And my mother's a healthcare professional by training. She had um, experience again, in kind of the, the venues where immunizations were given and had seen that needles were a problem. So when the concept of creating a needle free technology to help address needle stick and reuse and pass along disease came about, um, that was courtesy of the World Health Organization, kind of giving a call to action for the world. Could somebody develop a needle-free technology, please? Um, My mother called me and she said, "Uh, I really want to do this, will you help me? So I thought about all of the things that were meaningful to me, where you could make an investment, make a great return, and then see some paradigm shift as a result of that investment. Today, everybody calls it impact, but it was way before impact was designed. Um, those are meaningful things. And when we thought about how we could create a technology that would be able to be used in any environment, whether or not it was a sophisticated clinic or a, a field environment in a difficult you know, country, we thought, gosh, it's a huge market opportunity. If we only get a part of the way there, right? We can do some good along the way, we can create a, a, a great business and it's the right thing to do. So that was then, and this is now, and, and you know, it's taken us a little bit longer. Um, we indeed have, have proven out a lot of the things that we wanted to do.
0: Because you started it, did you form the company in, in 05?
1: Yes, in the middle okay. of 05, yeah. We, and, we've done a little bit of homework in advance, You know, kind of went to meet all the, the people in the world that were you know, having anything to do with needle free or okay. drug delivery. Uh, So, some market surveillance about, you know, should we do this? How should we do this? Just like a good. Everybody said you won't be successful.
0: (laughs) Oh, oh, really? (laughs) Uh, Wow. Okay. And was there anybody doing it, by the way? Any competitors already?
1: You know, at the time, there were um, a few companies that had devices focused on things like insulin, so home use. Okay. Okay. All right. And there were a few devices that had—I call them the ten-thousand-dollar drug, you know, devices—but they were aiming at very expensive drug delivery. That I see. As an individual, you'd never know what the device costs.
0: I see. And okay.
1: For us, we thought, you know, the immunization market's growing in perpetuity; it'll never stop. So the number of children being born and the number of vaccines they receive forevermore. And then a problem with safety. Uh, the WHO had observed that somewhere between 40 and 70% of needles were being reused in certain oh, places.
0: That stat blows me away, by the way. I heard you mention that on another podcast. And I, I thought, what? Wow, that, that is crazy. I never thought it would yeah. be that.
1: <laughs> so when, when we, again, spoke to some of these people, they said, well, vaccines don't have any money. Why would you ever want to do that? Uh, they oh. were the $2,000 drug guys, right, focused on the really high-end stuff okay and taking a piece a percentage of that revenue stream from that drug and then on the other side the the devices that were being used for things like insulin they were uh engineered to reach the subcutaneous tissue and uh, well, it, I don't know, I, know what that means yeah so we have three <laughs> layers in our body you know you, okay. if, you, if you this is theoretically the tissues you've got the the skin at the top right the dermal layer Okay. And you have the fatty tissue in between, which is subcutaneous, and then you have the intramuscular tissue below. Okay. So All right. In the vaccine world, when we started, nearly every single vaccine was delivered into the muscle. It had to reach the muscle in order to work. Interesting. And so with fluid dynamics, when you create a fast fluid stream, you need it to go deeply enough that it reaches the muscle, but you also don't want it to be like a bullet right? You want it to be comfortable for the patient and all of the other devices that were being used for things like insulin. They told us, well, we don't think you can engineer an intramuscular device. And so their mental limitation was, uh, yeah, good luck with that. Right. (laughs) And they were also uh, orienting themselves to frankly, originally being uh, something that could be reused. In other words, the syringe, we call it a syringe. It just doesn't have a needle on it. It has a little hole where the, the fluid mm-hmm. goes through. Mm-hmm. They were encouraging the reuse of the syringe because if it was your insulin and in your body and you know, no other users, that would be fine and it would lower the average cost for you as a patient. In our case, the World Health Organization had asked to make sure that that syringe would never be able to be reused. So in other words it needed to be auto disabled after each use. So when we set up the the kind of approach we saw lots of volume use meaning a single non-reusable syringe for every single immunization. Hmm. And then again the 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 growth in the birth cohort, the growth in the number of vaccines, the fact that needles are problems, um, they have needle stick associated with them, potential pass-along disease. So all of these extra features that put really vaccine delivery into a specific category.
0: Mm, so your, your ability to be able to convince people this is needed and sell it got, got stronger over time. Did you teach yourself all of this medical stuff before or some of the funds that you had managed and invested in before were in the healthcare space and you knew some of this terminology? I'm just curious.
1: Well, I always, um, you know, by osmosis, uh, you got all the healthcare stuff because I come from a family full of healthcare people, you know, doctors and nurses and hygienists and everybody, you know, in healthcare. But I think, um, you know, indeed, some of the investments that I looked at in, 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 the Central and Eastern European area include things like hospitals and, you know, et cetera.
0: Okay. 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 And would you, you and your mom were the first, did you, you and your mom put money in first? So you guys quote, yes. boot, bootstrapped this, so to speak at first and then, right. Okay. All right. And did you give up all the responsibility that you had managing other funds and other people's money at that time? Or were you trying to do both at first?
1: Well, I was doing both at first in the sense that I had fully invested my fund and the focus was, you know, exit over time. Okay. And so I had a little bit of time to to do other things. And it's, uh, you know, we spent the better part of a year kind of walking around and really studying about the, the market and market opportunity and, and uh, even speaking with the, the World Health Organization. Um, okay. And then we formed, formed the company. But the um, – you know, my, my mental view is I was going to be the chairman, kind of like, you know, looking after the portfolio of uh, private equity investments that I had, you sit on yeah. the board, you're a yeah. good fiduciary, right. right? and that over time, we would just have a dynamite medical device qualified team, and, and in the early days, you know, where it's, you're, you're doing a lot of bench testing and range finding and prototyping, it's not a it's not really a business, right? It, it's a yeah, company, right. but but it's not, you know, like this. So my mother was here on the ground all day every day, and she and the engineers uh, would work together to make sure that that our prototyping and testing was going okay. But our our combined view, we always knew that we would need, you know, really qualified medical device team that that could help us build and grow the business. So in 2010. 29, 2009, 10. Just taking us back in history. Mm-hmm. We had just received our first FDA approval in 2009 during the H1N1 crisis.
0: Had had you raised any cash before that FDA approval? Um,
1: yeah, it, we had actually, and okay. and uh, so so my money, my parents' money. Can't leave my dad out of this. And, okay.
0: <laughs>
1: and um, then I included uh, in a convertible note structure. Um, oh. Many of my fellow co-investors in the the region okay. we all did club deals, and some of my successful entre- entrepreneurs, right? Because did, I know did all they people.
0: all get in? Did they all get in before the FDA approval?
1: Yes, they did. Oops, nice. <laughs> so um, when we received our FDA approval, and H1N1 was was just starting to become a concern about a pandemic, we had a small opportunity to work with Homeland Security in New Jersey in the public health venues to deliver flu shots. Cool. And it, it, it was a remarkable time because we were able to see that not only did more people stand in the needle-free line, but we got about 20% more out of the vials and the vaccines were in short supply. So the nurses were, you know, pretty intrigued of, of oh my gosh, you know, this right. can save so many, so much money or we can immunize so many more people. And then, you know, a simple push and click. We had several patients that were unbelievably needle phobic who had to have an injection as a requirement of their their jobs and positions and that's when when it really became very apparent of this is going to work out that that was your moment that was your moment
0: okay yeah that felt good that trip felt good i can see you You're, you're there you're watching this whole thing unfold going okay i think we got some we may have yeah. something here. <laughs> Very good. Can I, can I ask you real quick? I just want to, I got to ask you, was the company at that, are we talking like set up legit ops agreement cap tables, even though it's your mom, you guys got all these documents or was it like, Oh, it's just my mom. So it's kind of loose. I'm just. Oh curious. no, we had
1: everything from day one. Cause that's my oh, okay. professional standard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. we had Thank it.
0: Thank you. Good, good tip for the listeners right there for anybody. We'll just take a, take a pause right there. Let me just tell you right now. I don't care if it's your best friend or if it's your cousin or if it's your mom or your dad, if you are starting a business, I highly recommend that you get your operating agreement in check that you have a clean cap table with who has what units and my definition of an operating agreement is this, if the crap hits the fan, it lays out what happens and who does what and that's what it's designed to do right. And, uh, and, and here's a perfect example where Heather's saying, hey, I started the business with my, with my mother and I, I made sure I had this stuff in line because it's critical. So good tip for the listeners right there. I just wanted to ask about that. Okay, so you're off and running now. Now you're off and running. What year was that, by the way? The story you just told, what year was that? When, when the nurses kind of had the, the moment. So
1: that was the fall of 2009.
0: Okay, all right, very good. So how about this? Let's skip forward just a bit here and give us this. Because I could keep you on the phone for like four hours and start asking, start start asking a bunch of questions about all the people scared of needles. And by the way, why wouldn't you stand in that in the needleless line? Like, why would you not do that? I don't, I don't. That's. Um, can you? There's do this? one
1: or
0: two. Right, right. There is. Right. I was starting to think, why wouldn't you? I don't understand. Um, can you give us the pharmajet? elevator pitch overview as it stands today just give us a fresh overview for all the people that have no idea of what we're talking about go for it
1: you bet so we are a needle free jet injection technology and jet means that there's a fast fluid injection that goes into your body in less than a tenth of a second we have two device platforms that cover all tissue depths so intramuscular and subcutaneous in one platform and intradermal in the other they are fully scaled and validated, which is a big word in FDA speak, meaning okay. that they are okay. audited. Uh, we have volume production with robotics. We've chosen a contract manufacturing relationship so that we don't need to own the building, but we own the technology. Cool. And we manufacture in Wisconsin with Very a group called, called Philips MedSize. We are now working on our second capacity increase, which will be in Singapore, okay. called Univac. Uh, We have achieved all of our critical regulatory credentials like FDA, CE Mark, uh, World Health Organization approval. We are the first and only jet injection technology to do that. Very cool. Plus, we have registration in 42 other countries with 50 more underway. We have 47 issued patents and more pending and new claims always being filed. Okay, so let me
0: let me just let me just stop you right there. Is the, uh-huh. so the so the attorney that you've been using for all this lives in a giant mansion somewhere.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, he's pretty good value for money. We're we're not big spenders. Okay. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right, go ahead. You're telling patents and all that. Okay, go yeah. ahead. I'm okay, sorry. I don't mention
1: trade you. secrets, frankly, because what we do is really hard. So if you consider that we compete with needles, we have a bit of a razor razor blade approach. Uh, so our syringes are disposable. We have filling adapters that attach adapt to vials that allow you to download any medicine, and then the injectors are long life. We've tested them to thirty thousand uses without failure. Cool. So they're fractional pennies mm-hmm. per injection.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the the ability for us to essentially serve all vaccine administration through our devices, which are optimized for for vaccine delivery sorry for the dogs in the background.
0: That, that's right that's right today uh, people people understand with podcasts people and everybody working from home it's all good
1: <laughs> yeah. um and and so we have you know in general a lot of these kind of i i call them you know the foundation pieces the core foundation to what we do and we are now at commercial state but because of the fact that we have That foundation, plus we've completed several clinical studies. We've been involved in 60 human clinical studies that have been completed to date, Mm. Mm. 70 more in process. And that's a big deal because, Steve, where the the claims come from, where I can highly recommend, for instance, that you go get your flu shot, is because we actually did the studies filed with the FDA and have the ability to promote for that, that we've Mm. studied it everybody, you know, it's safe, it's efficacious, and it's non-inferior to needles. We're also the only needle-free jet injection technology that has a claim of generating a superior immune response using a fractional dose. So we're part of the Global Poly eradication Initiative, uh, where we've demonstrated through studies led by the WHO and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and CDC that mm. 60% less invest- injected into your skin is superior in immune response to a full dose into your muscle.
0: Really? Okay. Yeah. Who are right. somebody that's in charge of expenses is hearing that going? Yeah, that's good. Yes. Why not do that?
1: Right. You know, <laughs> right. We, we save uh, in polio vaccine in the poorest of countries competing against 5 cent needles. Uh, we save a full 30% for every immunization that? back for the user. And in part, we we get 20% more out of the vials. So remember that early uh aha during the Mm H1N1 scenario. We also do not have any needles to get rid of, so we don't have expensive sharps disposal. We don't really leave behind hazardous trash. And it's a very fast process, so push and click. You can process patients typically two to three times faster than needle delivery. Mm
0: Why aren't we using this everywhere right now? Like why why are why do why are we still using needles? I'm listening listening to you describe this and I'm thinking, okay, this yeah. is a no-brainer. What well, what are we waiting on? Tell me is it is now is it a scaling, you know, bandwidth can't produce enough? What, what, do you have back orders for 2 years? What's the situation?
1: Well, it's a combination of things. So, during our 2011 era, just after we had scaled our primetime device the FDA changed the entire regulatory landscape and said, now you need to go do clinical claims, right? So if anybody knows what the word force majeure is, right? Out of nowhere, all of a sudden the rules changed, which caused us several years of additional work.
0: So the
1: the concept of clinical claims for, for, you know, The example that everybody knows is you're listening to the news in the morning, then they have this commercial and a happy family running through the park and then this asthma remedy that they advertise. And then at the end, they go slowly and talk about how if you take this product, you might die and you might stop breathing, right? (laughs) That's an example of a clinical claim because during that that, uh, clinical study, that's what happened. In other words, the FDA wanted to make sure that the drug makers were very transparent that some of these drugs aren't completely safe. Mm-hmm. So we have clinical claims, and the good news is, is nothing happened, right? We're okay. the same as a needle and syringe. Everybody is safe, um, it's effective, uh, et cetera. And so we're able to walk through the door and talk about those things because we have regulatory approvals for that purpose. Mm-hmm. And, and while that was really hard, and and expensive yeah. to navigate. Um, and, and the and generally all drugs and all devices are now subject to the same thing. What it's done is it's created a competitive barrier for anyone to try and, and okay. follow pharma jet. So we estimate that we're five to eight years ahead of anyone who would like to try.
0: Okay, very good. So a nightmare situation actually turned into a silver lining blessing. When when that happened to you, during that that first few months when that was happening and the rules changed and you're like oh shit okay so now whatever our expense budget was forget that now we got to do you're having to do this major pivot was there were, were there some dark nights there where you're like okay i don't i don't know i don't know if we can do it Were you, you know I'm, I'm tired i can't do this anymore were there a few of those nights
1: oh all the time you know it, <laughs> it was um it was probably because of my experience in Central and Eastern Europe, and, and very clearly, Poland specifically, because I lived there, mm. um, there was force majeure that happened every day. Oh, you know? right. And so it, it wasn't that it was just normal, because that that wasn't okay, right? In other words, you needed mm-hmm. to figure out how to fix it, or, or you know get beyond the barrier, or go a different direction. But when this happened... Um, you know it's like calling in the avengers you call in the a team and we had already developed several collaborations that were really meaningful like with the world health organization and the cdc and and um many of our customers you know we all kind of you know we were we were not not only perplexed about why this had happened but it was like oh let's figure out how how we can fix this
0: yeah yeah
1: so Today, the FDA is an official reference for us, and and Great. we're really proud of the fact that we've created some stunning data, first and onlys, and um, it's it's given us again this this silver lining of a position that we don't think there'll be another pharma yet.
0: Are you still in a, in the scale up, burn cash, have to get investors mode, or do you are you generating enough revenue now to where you can you can run it? You break even or where, where are you at? I don't know how much you want to share, but I'm just curious as to kind of where you're at in the life cycle.
1: Sure, I'll share some, some general, you know, kind of feedback. In um, my experience, you know, with looking at a, a number of medical device pharma mm-hmm. businesses, like science is glacial, it takes a long time to get through all the regulatory processes. So typically, what you see in those companies is that early revenue—they're not profitable for a very long time until they hit their stride, and at the same time, they're usually investing. Right? It's more layers and more layers and more layers because once you get to this stage out here, it tends to be a diversified—you know—offering of additional products. So um, we're revenue generative. We are not yet profitable. We're pretty close, and we're always adding people to the cap structure. One of I,
0: the, yeah. you
1: know, kind of, my, my middle name is fundraising, right? Uh,
0: I was just about to say, I was just about to ask you, I'm like, let me guess, Your 90% of your job today is either raising cash or managing the cap table or oh. updating equity holders and blah, blah, blah.
1: Yes, <laughs> you know, a lot of that, a lot of that. And, and, you know, I'm a fiduciary in the sense that I'm an investor, I'm on the board, I take that really seriously.
0: Yeah. And we've yeah.
1: raised money only from high net worth and family office investors to date. Although we're really closely finalizing kind of a, we'll call it an institutional round. Although some cool. of it's high net worth money, but but it's um, it's important to find the right money and the right alignment, and um, that's my my job. So we'll, when that you know, became we're nearly there
0: when that became a big part of your job, when it really, when the cap cap table started blowing up and you're you're dealing with lots of different people here and money coming from various places, is that when you said, okay, listen, the day-to-day, I need a CEO besides myself because I need to help over here. Is is that why you eventually brought in somebody else as the CEO? Because I think you brought in somebody from the outside for that. I think. Correct me if I'm wrong.
1: Indeed over time. Um, I don't think actually my, You know, my mother and I ever took uh, kind of formal titles that way. Okay. We always knew we needed third parties. And, you know, we've had over time, um, I I guess you'd say virtually 100% turnover, but that's been over over about a 15-year period of time. Yeah. And, and certain people in our early days were truly helpful and wonderful. And, and yet, you know, you're always trying to find better people or different experiences mm-hmm. for different stages of, of a business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, we have a really solid team. My executive team has worked together for the last seven to 10 years. Great. Um, our current CEO uh, has been promoted from within, he's a tremendously capable. Awesome. um engineer and operating person his name cool. is chris hello yeah so um we never intended to to be you know kind of the long-term fully in charge um, founders and my mother's uh 79 so she's retired right she's still in good health but but you know it, it was time to pass the torch and and i'm still part of this um, i'm a bit younger than she is <laughs> does
0: she come to does she come to the board meetings
1: no, she doesn't, but uh, you know, she's she's warmly welcomed of course when whenever she wants to. Up,
0: does she does she say hey, send me the financials, send me the quarterly financials? Does she ask for any documents?
1: <laughs> no, no, she no, no, I I think in the, you know, again, the early days we spent a lot of time on those things and
0: okay.
1: She she actually um she ran my father's practices, so she's got a business background and a okay. healthcare background. But uh Yeah, you know, today, as much as we're not a a large, large corporation, we are absolutely a corporation, you know, we -hmm. we and have from the beginning, quarterly board uh, meetings, many of my key shareholders occupy some of those seats, we have a few independents that have medical device experience, vaccine experience, my shareholder base, um, you know, is extensive, but it for me personally, because it's it's a personal thing, right? It's a personal mm-hmm. investment, it's a personal alignment, it's a personal commitment. Um, doesn't matter how much somebody's invested, my door's always open, so.
0: Yeah, I know it can be a full-time job. I had a friend of mine that, uh, I won't mention his name on here, but at some point he was dealing with 90 people on his cap table and uh, I was having happy hour with him and he just said, man, he, said, he I said, I'll never let it get that big again if I ever start something else. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: um times okay. best laid plans don't work out, but uh, you know right. there was a period in the world and we're we're in it again, where in two thousand eight, nine, the venture market got wiped out. No, it's eight, nine, ten, eleven, frankly, right? Yeah, um right. Yeah. and and many times those gaps have been filled by high net worth. Yep. In, in a multiple of companies, not just mm-hmm. Armaged, and, and particularly also at that time, because the FDA changed all the regulations, the venture community was was not interested in medical technology for a while.
0: Is there any chance that when I go get my COVID uh, a shot, uh, you know, because uh, there's a vaccine that I'm going to be, that somebody's going to be using your device, sticking me in the arm with your device? Is there a chance of that or no? <laughs>
1: We're super hopeful, there are no promises, but we have now 18 documented coronavirus candidates being advanced with PharmaJet.
0: Very nice. Touching
1: nine countries and jurisdictions, geographies around the world. Um, And the truth is, is there's a certain category of our activities that are around the development of novel vaccines. So they're not our vaccines,
0: but our devices,
1: in certain cases, that fast fluid injection helps shock the cells and make those vaccines work better than needles. So are it's the, not not 100% of the cases, but in, in particularly nucleic acid, DNA, messenger RNA, that's what we've seen so far. Mm. So chances are we can be part of some of these solutions. Three of those uh, are clinical stage, meaning the human testing stage out of 30 in the world.
0: Are any of the vaccine companies investors partners do you have the, do you have those kind of relationships or no can you, i don't know if you can mention we that. um
1: we have uh two small relationships i mean they they're, they're related parties but um one of our vaccine development partners in asia after they had completed some testing and signed a license agreement with us asked if they could make a small investment in pharmajet and so i'm um, proud to say that they are investors and they don't have any special rights but it was, for us, it was really a nice recognition of we must make their stuff work better, right? That we add some value to what they do, mm-hmm. and then we have some discretionary small commitments from professional investors, meaning you know the venture community and their day job, but discretionary allocations that are not necessarily part of their fund, and then um, we have we have uh, the Rockies Venture Club, not only. Nice. The underlying nice. individuals, but also their fund as an investor, as an example. Nice.
0: Very yeah. good. Very so good.
1: Few few outliers and hybrids, but at the end of the day, you know, very significant personal interactions with our, our shareholders.
0: Sounds like a wonderful 15-year journey that's had some ups and downs, but really lots of wins in here for you. And and now you're really at that, at that tipping point, pretty damn close yeah. to this tipping point, right?
1: Yes, we are.
0: Um, and soon you're going to, you could probably be on the hockey stick of profitability pretty soon after all those years of investing, right? Then then you won't have those investors calling you going, hey, what, I'm I <laughs> get my money back. <laughs>
1: well, um, you know, the world's a big place and I, I call it my grand plan of global domination. We're not done yet.
0: <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations on everything you've done with it so far. Really outstanding. Uh, and I, I just love, I love the fact that in my mind, in layman's terms, like I said, I just view it as like, I don't, why wouldn't you use that versus a the needle? There is, the, I, unless, unless you're calling me a hospital or whoever the customer is, and you're saying it costs 10 times more to use your stuff than the needle, unless that's the conversation, there's no reason why they shouldn't do it. I, I, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, you know, and everybody's a little bit different. So I appreciate the concept because if you're the business guy, and you, you're only looking at dollar and cents or versus you're the logistics person and you're only looking at how to deploy the grain. Uh,
0: got, you gotcha.
1: Versus the caregiver. You all have different views. Mm. And the, mm. the one example that I would offer um, in in the rest of the world is is our polio channel is is stunning. It's, it's a 300 to 500 million annual dose need for the next couple of decades. And we have had experience in... Um, places like Pakistan, which is an endemic polio country where the polio virus is in the water and the sewage systems. So we, um, you know, it was joyous for us. It was hands off. We trained over WebEx, but we we, uh, trained 50 master caregivers in week one. They trained 1,100 teams. And the following week they immunized 500,000 children door to door in five days, 99% approval. From patients and caregivers, and then 18% more people showed up. And that's that? the cool thing, right? Which is that? why are we using this everywhere? Well, most people probably don't like needles. And and that probably right. empowers a few extra participants.
0: <laughs> really good stuff. Uh really awesome stuff. By the way, have you ever met Bill Gates?
1: Not personally, but I'm pretty sure he was uh, the person they added to the phone call and the camera in the corner when I was at the foundation. Oh,
0: that's pretty cool. <laughs> no, awesome. he's
1: actually a personal um, supporter of our activities. He's yeah. been integral yeah. in the, the yep. global Polar eradication initiative. Yes.
0: Yeah, I watched the I watched the special on uh, Netflix or whatever uh, the special with him and you know trying to just get fresh water and water for sewage and stuff that I recently saw and I that really that was emotional for me I just I, I told my wife I'm like you know we just take so many things for granted over here I mean we just yes, we, we go to the restroom we just flush the toilet we don't even think about it right uh and you know and I watched that special that was emotional for me That really that really was I, I just I was like man we are spoiled over here <laughs>
1: yes we are yes we are and I think it's really thanks to his leadership in a lot of places that uh, we're all more aware mm-hmm. and and if you think that the Internet's only kind of really been an active tool for 25 to 30 years. Uh, you know, CompuServe was was kind of tail end of the 90s and and then, you know, what was it, the AOLs and the things, you know, the right. progress towards it's everywhere right everybody mm-hmm. thinks their god-given right to have a phone right right and be able to finance it, the phone and the car and the house and the everything um i think the recent statistic i read was three billion people have limited access to water and soap
0: I, yeah that that stuff just i just it blows me away it makes me feel bad that i'm not doing enough to make a difference in, in people's lives like that too which is yeah, you know, yeah, I feel like I'm not giving back enough when I hear stories like that. Ah, gosh. Well, I'm glad that you're part of that, you're part of that playing field, right? You're, you're having those conversations with people like him doing that. That's a wonderful thing. Two last questions here. I know we're almost out of time. You've had such a wonderful career already. I mean, you've just done so many awesome things. But if you could call the young lady out in California – getting ready to you know, get her bachelor's degree and you could tell her anything, what would you say to her right now today, knowing what you know?
1: Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, I think I would have reminded her that most of the time the path is right in front of you and you have the opportunity to choose to be bold and take it or not. And some people are, are, you know, not very self-motivated, right? So, so we all get up in the morning because we have to feed ourselves and put a roof over our head and things like that. And life is hard. However, sometimes it's just right in front of you. And some people are too, too worried to take that leap of faith, mm. that maybe that they lack self-confidence. Or maybe if they, they became a little more self-aware, you know, how subtle it is that sometimes people offer you help and you, you, you're either too proud to take it or you, you just dismiss that, oh, they don't really want to help me. I didn't hear that, right? So the, the way in which I feel like part of the underlying success is, is, you know, it's show up, show up, show up. 80% of everything is showing up and you never know who you're going to meet. That and too- then the rest is really hard work. You better, you better show up and do a good job, right? You better follow through. You, you need to make sure that you are distinctive because life is competitive. And, and then frankly, our consumer population wants it to be perfect every single time. And the bar <laughs> gets higher and higher and higher. Right,
0: yeah. yeah. Let me summarize for the listeners two things there. When the doors are open, have the guts to walk through them, And when you do walk through them, work your ass off. Yeah,
1: that's exactly right.
0: Okay. What last question is this? If you had to put your core purpose in life into a sentence now, right now at this phase in your life today, because it was probably a different core purpose when you were 29, but right now, what, what is your core purpose in life? If you had to summarize it for us.
1: Hmm. Um, I think, you know, it's kind of a combination once an investor, always an investor. So I have a few things that I, I spend time on where I have either invested or I I sit on the board, many of which are associated with my, my shareholder cap structure, right? Um, I'm always curious about what they're doing and, or they ask me, you know, would you mind, would you help us out? Mm -hmm. So when I look at the things that I spend time on and PharmaJet is, is, the predominant amount of my time and I work a lot. So, you know, I steal, steal time from the weekends and everything to fit it all in. Mm -hmm. But, um, I feel like the, the technologies and the entrepreneurs that I help get behind and champion have the ability to make a huge impact in a profound way and in a positive, you know, contribution. So It's not the greatest little widget that everybody's going to love just because it's a widget. Um, there's, there's also a, a clear focus around brain health that I, I didn't really observe before. But the, the fact is, is that you know we're, we're emotional human beings, and not all of us have been given the opportunity to have the best deck of cards, or some That's of right. us have gotten hurt before, or we have family history of whatever. And so if we're able to be able to think well, then I think that goes a long way towards being able to be creative and productive and thoughtful and emotionally well-balanced. So that's one. And, and then on the, the tech side, I think there's always good things that uh, are, are allowing us to work, either work more safely, grow farming uh, in, a, in a more productive and you know, water-efficient way, um, Those kinds of impacts that can be made have to be core to what I end up getting involved in, whether or not it's spending my time or spending my money.
0: Sounds good. Thank you very much. By the way, if you ever uh, need to put a few of your million dollars into a small little growing recruiting firm, I know of one. (laughs) I'm just joking around. Heather, thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast. I really appreciate you sharing your story here.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. It's fun. It's, um, I, I like the opportunity to share our story, obviously, and I just appreciate the opportunity that you've given us today.
0: If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button. If you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to hit that little bell next to the subscribe button so you can be notified when we release a new episode. Our show features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. You can visit RiderFlex.com to learn more about us and get information on the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.